0: Two pitches, swinging a miss. Knock him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball. It's Wednesday, May 17, 2017. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you this week by the Irish Rover Station House. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And, Chet, another busy week for the Phillies' bullpen. The Eagles with a big signing today. The Sixers get the number three pick in the NBA lottery, which we're going to talk about later. But tonight, we have our first-ever Hall of Famer joining us.
1: Well, I won't tell Ray Dindry you said that, but I know what you mean. The first Hall of Fame athlete from one of the four major sports who also happens to be the Flyers' all-time leading goal scorer. We look forward to talking with him. And right up front, a big thank you to our pal Swit, Steve Switkowitz, who helped helped get us, Bill Barber. Swit works with a number of former pro athletes, and he did work his magic to get Bill to agree to join us. So thank you, Swit. And by the way, for all the 76ers fans later in the show, we have Tom Moore joining us to talk about what the Sixers might do with that third overall pick in the NBA draft.
0: Well, let's get right to it, and welcome two-time Stanley Cup champion, a member of the Broad Street Bullies, as we said, Flyers Hall of Famer and Hockey Hall of Famer, Bill Barber to the Philly Press Box Radio. Bill, welcome. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be here. And, and Chet, just as a clarification, it's three-time Stanley Cup champion, but we'll get to that a little later, too.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. Hey, Bill Barber, you've played in several alumni games over the years, including the Big Flyers-Penguins 50th anniversary season alumni game in January. First, how much fun was that game, and have all three LCB linemates now officially hung up the skates for good? Well,
2: I, I think we have. I think our time passes by many years ago, but it was a, a real pleasure uh... To participate uh, it's always great to get back to catch up with the guys and, and our line was a special line there, great uh, with Clarky and Reggie Leach and we had a good thing going there and you know we kind of agreed upon things that uh, I think we're at our end and let the, the ball drop where it should go and not be down to the younger players there and the alumni there we're, we're up in age uh, as, as everyone well knows and uh, it's pretty hard on us at times so uh that mm-hmm. there to me was my last game and um i think clarky's on the same page and so is reggie there we we had a great run at it uh we'll always be part of it we just won't be on the ice uh we'll be maybe behind the bench or something along those lines but we'll always participate anything the alumni has going on future uh i know uh we'll be there for them
0: Bill, uh, as we mentioned, you were part of the Stanley Cup champions way back. And uh, that group of guys is probably the most revered group of players in this city to this day. Uh, The the Broad Street Bullies just uh, are very, very popular all along. How how does that feel for you guys to still be such a part of the community 40-plus years later?
2: Well... I think what really happened there, I came in at uh, an era of time there where the Flyers were just ready on to be on the climb and uh, uh very fortunate to be part of it. Obviously uh, that in 1972, when I joined the Flyers, we were on, on a, on the climb, uh, went to the semifinals that year. And I think the city had struggled for, for a winner. And uh, we were uh, a real good hockey team uh you know we were classified obviously as the broad street bullies but when you look at the team in general there we had all the elements needs it takes to win everyone understood their role we had goaltending we had a a simple system that freddie shiro instilled that took us on to win many games and and uh win the championships and I think when it all went down the first year, you know, uh, the the, the city really welcomed that. And then we went on the next year to win again, uh, which included more people at our parade. And then God bless uh, us in a sense there too. We go on the third year to play and we went to the finals and lost to Montreal. We were kind of a beat up team the third year. Um, We had lost uh, Bernie and Nett and, uh, We were kind of banged up and we played a lot of hockey. So I think the city has always welcomed us. We're very fortunate as athletes, truthfully, to be part of this city and the area. It has so much to offer. And I think the contingent of players that are left, that are still here in the area, uh, the area speaks for itself.
1: Hey, Bill, uh, you mentioned Freddie Sherrill. We had Bob Kelly on back in January. He told us some good Fred Sherrill stories. Was Freddie the Fog really as unusual as we were led to believe? <laughs>
2: well, Freddie kind of kept to himself, but, uh, he, you know, Freddie, Freddie was a unique man. He, he was uh, methodical. He studied a lot on watching tapes. He hired probably the first assistant coach in the National Hockey League, and uh, you know, he knew how to treat everybody like he let everyone be themselves. He gave the younger players an opportunity to play uh, along with the uh, the mixture of the older guys and veterans and leadership. And he put it all together and he gave us a system that he knew what everyone was capable of. He knew that we would execute that. Uh, he believed in repetition. At practice time, we could probably practice in our sleep but it won his hockey games. So he was a unique man. I, I have to give a a lot of credit to Fred Sherrill for my career. He gave, I came in as a young kid, and I, he gave me every opportunity to make the team, and he gave me responsibilities that I still cherish to this day. Bill,
0: there were a lot of good players, as you mentioned, in that era of Flyers hockey, but only three of you um, made it to the Hockey Hall of Fame, Bernie Perron and, and Bobby Clark and yourself. Is that group of guys really, from the hockey standpoint, uh, somewhat underrated individually?
2: Well, you, you know, um, there's there's players you you can definitely bring up. You, like our whole team, how the, how we were recognized. I think you I think a lot of people have to realize is the fact of the matter is it's not about one individual player, about how good he is. A player is only as good as who he has around them. It's like business. How good are you? I'm only as good as the people I have around me. And, and in our case, uh, I'll speak for myself and I'll you know, I, I'll speak for all our, our players. Our players were good players for a reason. We were good players because we had good players around, around us that had character. We were a team. We played for one another. Everyone played their role. Uh, there was no worried about how much ice time you got to how many goals you scored or how many points you got or any of that other stuff. It was just about... Playing as a team, playing for one another, and trying to win hockey games, and uh, I think we had a lot of underrated players that weren't probably never got the recognition they should.
1: Bill, there's less fighting nowadays, of course. Otherwise, how is NHL hockey different today from when you played? Well,
2: I think in the case here, you got to look at the athletes themselves. They're—I'll they're, be honest—they're they're bigger, they're stronger, and they're faster. And uh, the game has changed uh, tremendously over that uh, period, over the last many years, to be honest with you. There, like these guys are well trained and, um, and they all can shoot. Like, if you looked in our day uh, of time, uh, players that could really shoot the puck, they kind of stood out. The players that had speed, they stood out. Well, what's standing out in today's game is, is that the players that don't shoot as well or don't skate as well are noticeable. So it's kind of the whole thing is kind of turned right around. And, uh, you know, and some of the rules that are put in now has changed the game. No red line uh, and so forth. And um, it, it's a different ball ballgame. Uh, like I said, it, it's, a, it's a lot faster game now than when we played. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's just the whole aspect of saying a lot of passing. Goaltenders are bigger. Uh, not much net to shoot at. Players block shots more than they do and I did in our era of time. So it's a tough game to play today. It's tough to score goals today, a little easier in our time. Hmm. Well, Bill,
0: you know, as as growing up, you're a hockey player your whole life. You accomplished a couple Stanley Cups as a player. But then you take on a new challenge, and you become the director of player personnel with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and you win that third Stanley Cup we were talking about. How much different was it? taken on that role versus one you practiced your whole life to become as a player
2: well it, it's totally different we, we had a, a real good thing going in tampa there uh, i'm glad i had the opportunity to come on board and uh, i spent eight years with them um and we had a chance there that we had some young players in the lineup and had a real good cor- coach in john tortorella uh, we had everything going together there for us and we stayed our course, believed in one another and it's a different ball game. I travel a lot. I was in and out of Tampa a lot, but uh, I was still on the road uh, scouting players and evaluating players and the good part about it in in this case was to have the opportunity to be on a management team. And be part of when trade talks were going on, decisions that were made, I was always included. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a thrill, I'll be honest with you there. Uh, it was nice to, to win a championship other than a player. And uh, we, we had a great run at it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and, and a great era of time there uh, through the Lecavier and Marty St. Louis and and uh, Breskalov. And, you know, not Breskalov, but... Uh, I'm talking about our defensemen there. Anyway, it doesn't make any difference. It's just that all the players that we had were young, were eager to win, and I give John Tortorella a lot of, lot of uh, credit there to, um, um, to uh, put the team uh,
1: in the position they did to win. Well, he was a good coach, and uh, you coached the Flyers for two seasons, Bill, back in the early 2000s. I got to ask you about this. You won Coach of the Year honors your first season, and then despite a first place finish in your second year, I know there were the first round playoff eliminations. Your pal Clarky fired you after a first round playoff loss. So, first off, I couldn't believe that move. But, secondly, did that put a little damper on your relationship with Bobby?
2: No, not at all. You know what? Uh, you know, um, in the situation there, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, Um, I don't know what kind of fit I was like I I was kind of an older guy there was uh, I'm straightforward kind of a guy Uh, It's A to B is no A off to the one side to B and and our relationship is as strong as ever Uh, I respect it uh, the direction they were heading I'll be honest probably I wasn't a fit for the players we had. Uh, I came out of coaching in the minors with younger players and that, that you could push a little bit, but you got to be careful with that. We had an older group of guys uh, uh, where maybe they had a hard time digesting my, uh, my attitude about winning and what it took to win. And so it just didn't work out. And, uh, and from that aspect, uh, you know, they made a decision. I wasn't overly happy about it, but it, when, it, when all the dust had settled, you know, I understood it a little bit more, and and you move on. I, you know, I had a chance to stay on board there with the organization. I just thought it was time uh, in my life uh, to go on to go on somewhere else. And Tampa got a hold of me right away, and I went to Tampa and spent, spent eight years there. The Flyers are a great organization. Uh, they have a big desire to win. I hope it happens. I think Hecky's going to do a uh, has done a great job. Uh, in, in in building our farm system and getting these young kids just the biggest decisions they're going to have is when are they going to put these kids in and let them play. You get a window with this new salary cap. Uh, it, it puts everybody on the same page and you get a window there where you develop your young players and you got a window opening there to take a run at winning the cup. Because what happens is free agency comes in after that, so you groom all these kids you developed all these young kids and they turn around and they might go sign with somebody else uh, when they're 27 years old so mm-hmm. you know your window's short I, I think uh, the Flyers are heading in the right direction Uh just a matter now is when the, uh, these young kids are ready to step in and play it'll be exciting I think they got some great young kids really really good hockey players and uh, the draft lotto here I think is really going to help them too when you go from 13th pick to the number two pick is on almost unheard of and i think that'll really help their future well you actually somewhat
0: answered the question i was going to ask you uh next but how much do you keep track of the flyers now and it sounds like you're pretty much on it and just hockey as a whole are you uh are you a full-fledged fan
2: Oh, yeah. I, I still uh, kind of associated there with the Flyers. When I'm in town, I'm, I'm in the management booth there and uh, with with management team, and I drop into their uh, practice facility pretty much every day that I'm here. And uh, I've always kept in contact. It's been the love of my life, I'll be honest with you, is hockey. And uh, the Flyers have always had an open door for me, which is awesome, and I uh, – I stay up on top of all with all the activities that are going on with hockey. Period. More so, the Flyers, obviously, uh, their development. Uh, you know, with the Phantoms uh, in, in Allentown to the Flyers themselves, I keep uh, their lines. I watch every whole, I watch every game the Flyers play. I do their lines. I do their time on ice. I make little notes. So when I do come into the facility, uh, I know what's going on. And I think that's important, too. And it, it, it occupies the mind. It's good for me.
1: Hey, Bill, as you noted, the Flyers have the second pick in the draft. And they almost certainly will select either Nico Hischer or Nolan Patrick. Do you know much about either of these two young, highly touted forwards? I, re-
2: I really don't. I'll be honest. I haven't uh, dabbed into the juniors. And uh, I'm not sure only what I read. I have not, I have not seen them play. I hear they're both uh, two great players and uh, are players of the future. And even then you're not really guaranteed. I'm sure, uh, you know, we'll see as time goes, uh, where it's going to fall in. I know New Jersey has got the first pick and who they take. Uh, I don't think the flyers will go wrong with the second pick. Uh, you just got to be patient there. And I think our, you know, this is the most important thing for the city right now is to understand, to be patient with the flyers Um for their development process because it is the way to win with, with the new system in place uh, called the salary cap. You cannot go out and buy a hockey team. You can't go out uh, and, and, and pay uh, big money for, for free agents. It'll end
1: up biting you in the long run. Well, the Flyers did bring up a couple of impressive rookies this past season in Proverova and Konechny. They have a lot of well-regarded prospects, Travis Sanheim, Samorin, Robert Haig, Oscar Lindblom, German Rupsoff, three different goalies. Are you still optimistic about the near future for this club?
2: I I sure am. Uh, I mean, you know, I think that if I had a point at one area that's already seemed to be a bit of a concern, it's been goaltending. Oh, yeah. It hasn't been... If you if you really look at it, uh, without me, I'm not criticizing our goaltending this year, but we needed better than what we got. Uh, we needed NHL goaltending every night, and if I I really believe if we would have got consistency there, now it's a team thing too. You just can't point at the goaltenders. We have got to point at the whole team. A little more consistency, we the Flyers would have made the playoffs this year, and I don't think we were on top of that as well as we would have liked. Yeah. Well, Bill, we didn't score many goals either. We had some
0: trouble with that as well. Is it possible, is it a scheme-type thing, back from your playing days, is it a scheme-type thing, or is it really possible for a handful of players to kind of get into a a lull or a slump together and, and go for long periods of time without scoring goals?
2: Well, uh, it, it is a team thing again, and it seems to filter through when things don't go well. That's why you're hoping somebody will step it up and uh, you know uh, provide that to keep the team up on a level of scoring goals. Uh, to score goals is the price to pay, uh, obviously, uh, whether it's special team work or just regular five-on-five play. Uh, and it's not easy. Uh, it's a demanding game. You pay eighty some games a year uh, plus playoffs and. Uh, it's hard on you, and uh, I really believe the scheduling this year, uh, I'm not going to whine about it, but I don't know if the Flyers really got a fair shake with their scheduling. The early part of the year there with back-to-back games, I know they went on for a 10-game on beaten streak, but on the other hand, too, it catches up to you, and then the bottom kind of follows out, uh, falls out on you, and things like this happen. So we got inconsistent play after that run, uh, like I said, it's a demanding schedule, and it's not easy so um i th- I just thought if we would have got better uh played from everybody on more consistently, they would have able to sneak in there and got into the playoffs and who knows after that what could happen yeah it is a player
0: if you look at a guy like a Claude Giroux guy who has you know he's done everything for for quite a long time. Um, but his numbers are headed down each year. Uh, do you measure a guy like him by his numbers, or do you measure a guy like him by his contributions, or is time, father time running out
2: on him? Well, I, I think uh, you always need help when you're an elite player there. You always need help around you there. Uh, that's why I'm anxious to see some of these young kids uh, being put into the lineup. I think they'll provide energy if you look what happened this year with some of the young players they bought up and put in there. um, I think they added energy to the team. And I think that's going to, that's going to continue to happen. Uh, It's tough to beat youth. You just need the right blend. You got, it's a fine line there to draw. You just can't bring in a bunch of kids and start playing kids and expect things to happen and win. You just need to kind of filter them in there to, to, to energize the team. And hopefully that'll happen in the future.
1: Well, Bill, you're hesitant to criticize, but I'll say, I'll say it. Claude Giroux looks like an old 29-year-old this past season, so <laughs> I hope he you know, snaps out of it and gets back to form uh, for the upcoming season because they could certainly use him. Hey, we wanted to ask well, you about sir, Ed Snyder. We, of course, yep. yeah?
2: Yes. No, I, just, uh, I wanted to ask wanted you about Ed Snyder. Christian we lost on. Ed
1: last year. Yep. Go ahead, uh, sir, what I'm are your you. uh, memories of Mr. Snyder?
2: Well, he he was everything to me. I'll be honest with you. We became very close uh, as years went on. Uh, I loved the man. Uh, I, I think he was the greatest uh, sports owner ever. Uh, when you do 50 years and bring a team in, and I sat down with him numerous times, and we had talked about when he first came and what he, you know, how he got the team and how he built the rink and. And all the above, he put everything on the line. to, to have, The Flyers were the love of his life. And I'll be honest with you, I look at him and Keith Allen, they were two of my best friends. They were like a father to me, and uh, <clears throat> I miss the man dearly. Uh, uh, I got a chance to go and spend a little time with him there prior to uh, uh, him nearing his end. And uh, I'm going to tell you, he, he was uh, a great man to play for. Uh, to have as an owner, he he gave the team every opportunity to win. He gave us the best as, pl- as players, and uh, I really, really miss the man. I really do. <coughs> all right, Bill. Well, hey, we we're, we're about to run out of your
0: time. We we've, we've taken up all your time, but I did want to ask you before you go. We've got Nashville and Anaheim. We've got Ottawa and Pittsburgh. Who's gonna win the Cup? <laughs>
2: Well, do you have a coin handy?
1: Flip it. I, 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 you
2: know what? I couldn't. I'm not bailing on this. I, I couldn't really tell you. I, I'll say this. I think Pittsburgh. If Pittsburgh comes out of this, um, you got to give a lot of credit to their character of their of their team and Crosby because they're really banged up. They haven't played with Latang. He's done, you know, and goes on and on. The amount of injuries they have. I don't know how they're going to hold up uh, with the Nashville, Anaheim series there you would think with uh Nashville with their speed and how they play. Uh but I, I wouldn't I, I, I couldn't even tell you what, what team who's gonna win. I couldn't pick a team. I'd flip a coin, say okay, I'll take heads and I guess it might be Nashville or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's too close it's too close to call. It really is. Right.
0: Very good. Well Bill you, we Bill. certainly appreciate you joining us uh it was great, and uh, I could talk that old-time hockey forever.
2: <laughs> yeah, we all can. Well, listen, I, I, gentlemen, I really thank you for having me on. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, go goal Flyers, go. Goal.
1: All right. Thanks, you, got Bill, thank you, Bill. you got it. Thank you, Bill. got Got you. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. All right. <laughs> Let's take a break now and allow me to tell you about the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn. I love this place. Great dinners, steak, chicken, ribs. Seven or eight varieties of burgers, awesome sandwiches like roast beef, Reubens, and wraps, not to mention superb gourmet wings. The Rover has daily food and drink specials, and there's an extensive beer list, too, 24 brews on tap. During all Phillies games, get two and a quarter Bud drafts and a tater tot menu now, too. Just announced a Father's Day car show at the Rover. That's June 18th. Monthly Phillies pep rallies, too, when you just might win game tickets. The Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. And, Bill, before we continue, I just got to do something real quick right here. On a
0: vacation,
1: I <laughs> go back. Gonna have- I got to tell you, since we had Brett Myers on last week, I can't get that song out of my head. You know, working on the Vimeo thing and all that, I've had that song in my head for the past seven days.
0: It's funny that you said <laughs> that because I've been, I've been thinking the same thing. It keeps popping into my head as well. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of great comments and feedback about Brett's uh, visit with us and, uh, and and probably more about his music and his Charlie Manuel comment
1: than anything. He He mm-hmm. was outstanding. Yeah, and the music is surprisingly good. I'm telling you, I liked several of the songs that we uh, sampled. So, good stuff from Brett.
0: Absolutely. Beercation. i got one coming up here mm-hmm. pretty soon, I hope. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: All right, hey, Ted, as you know, uh, by now, the ping pong balls bounced to number three for the Sixers last night behind Boston and the Lakers. I know you were really excited about uh, – that whole thing and uh, last night's event are you disappointed in the number three or is it a good place to land
1: i'm not really disappointed i mean looking on the bright side they had the fourth worst record in the league and would have gotten the fifth pick based on the ping pong balls but the sam hinkey generated trade with the kings two years ago allowed them to swap with the kings who had the third pick so thanks to the ping pong balls and sam hinkey The Sixers get the third pick, which isn't a terrible thing. There are seven or eight high-quality players at the top of the draft list. So, yeah, I'm okay with number three. All
0: right. Well, hey, I know you had an opportunity to talk with our buddy Tom Moore today. For those that don't know, he covers the Sixers, and uh, he visits with us often, and he's very busy with all this lottery stuff. You had a chance to talk with Tom this afternoon. How'd that
2: go?
1: Yeah, well, Tom was up in New York for the lottery last night. He was doing interviews in the middle of the night. I'm I'm not kidding. He was on with WIP a little after 2 a.m., he told me, and he had several stories to write today, plus cover of Brian Colangelo presser. So I was fortunate that he agreed to find a few minutes to chat with Talking me. Talking with Calkins Media, Sixers beat reporter Tom Moore on the day after, the day after the draft lottery, of course, with the 76ers ending up with the third overall pick in next month's draft. Tom, I guess it could have been better, but it also could have been worse, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's funny because yeah, a few people asked what I thought and I said I, I don't have a real, real strong feeling, but if you pin me down, I'm going to say number three. And the reason I said it was because two years in a row they were number three, you know, drafting Embiid and Okafor, and it just sort of seemed to be about right. You know, I didn't think they were going to get one and four. There's only 2.4% chance, but I didn't think they were going to get six and seven either. So I figured it was somewhere in the big middle. And yeah, I mean, you know, they should be able to get somebody like Josh Jackson from Kansas, or maybe even if they target somebody who's a little lower, trade down. I mean, it does give them some options. But I really think, I really think Markel Fultz was the guy for them. I, I would, I would try to trade number three and the, like the Lakers' unprotected pick next year to get Fultz. I just think he is such a great fit for what they want as a complement to uh, Simmons that I think it is, it would be worth it to do everything semi reasonable to get him.
1: I like the way you think. Now the Celtics and Lakers do pick first and second. Is it a lock that Markel Fultz and Lonzo Ball will be off the board before the Sixers get to make their selection?
3: I would say Fultz will be off the board because I think even if he doesn't go one, which I would be surprised, I would really think he would go number two, or somebody would one of those teams would make a trade for somebody who wants him, you know, so that he would go. And that's even if Boston doesn't project him or doesn't, you know isn't sure about him and Isaiah Thomas or whatever. And Ball, I would think, would go too, but there's, there's always a chance if somebody thinks his, his shot needs to be reworked, it's a little funky or is really, really worried about the dad being a distraction, et cetera, divisive force or whatever, that there's an outside chance, I would say, Ball isn't gone second to the Lakers. But most likely that, that would seem to be the logical scenario, Chet.
1: All right, you mentioned Josh Jackson. Who else might the Sixers have on their radar if they stay at number three?
3: Yeah, I would think Jason Tatum, another small forward from Duke, and possibly De'Aaron Fox, the Kentucky point guard. I mean, I really like him. He does so many things well. Gets in, in the lane, um, left-handed, really pushes the ball, very good defender, high-character guy, but he's not a very good shooter. And I think if you're going to play Ben Simmons, and, and Sarich is decent, but he needs to be better too, you really need your compliments there to those to those guys to be really good outside shooters. So if you do that, I would understand it, but teams are just going to pack everything in and force you to take jump shots or make it really difficult. So, And if, if there's somebody they really like that they think would might be available a little bit later, they could theoretically trade down or um, try to do something like that, or even possibly trade for a veteran, depending on the circumstances. I think kind of all options are open at this point.
1: The Sixers do need a shooter, so why not trade down for, say, a Malik Monk?
3: You know, Chet, I am not a big Malik Monk guy. Oh, okay. um, I, I know he – well, no, he seems to fit the bill. He is the best shooting guard and probably the best perimeter shooter in the group. But I don't like that he's undersized and that he's also not a very good defender. So if he's going to be the two guard, he's really not big enough to defend two guards. And I know like, he's a popular pick, but I think you have to be careful about drafting for need versus drafting the best player. I mean, I asked Brian Colangelo today at the news conference, would you be willing to take somebody at a position that you think you actually might be in good shape at if you think he's the best player. And he said, we're going to take whoever is the best piece for the 76ers. So that to me would mean everything is, you know, all options are open and as they should be. Now
1: looking ahead to the next couple of years, the Sixers do have the Lakers unprotected pick next year. And then the Kings pick the following year. Is that right?
3: Yes. And they have their own pick, So they'll have two first rounders next year. They have three second rounders next year, and then they have two first rounders in 19. And I think that Sacramento kick pick could be a very high pick. With them rebuilding and Rudy Gay leaving uh, via free agency and, and Cousins being traded, I mean, I think they're starting from the ground up. So that could be a high pick in another uh, two years.
1: Okay, Tom, I'm putting you on the spot. You're the GM. Fultz and Ball go one, two. Who do you take at number three, assuming the Sixers stay there?
3: If I stay at number three, I would probably take Josh Jackson because he's so athletic. He would be a good fit it, it, you know, on the wing in terms of the running uh, up and down style. A better outside shooter than De'Aaron Fox, but not a great outside shooter. But, you know, I think that would improve with time. But I would be open to trading down. If if there's somebody I really like that I think could be there at five or six, I would be willing to do that and perhaps, you know, trade a player along with the pick to get a, a lower pick and perhaps a better player back, something like that. They really could use a veteran and a shooter, so maybe they could work something like that out. But if you stay at three, I'm fine with Jackson.
1: All right, Tom, I already have the Sixers in the playoffs next season. Back me up.
3: I think that's a best-case scenario. That's everything has to go right. I mean, to me, Chad, it really all still comes down to Joel Embiid. You know, he's so tremendously talented, but we have to remember he played in 31 out of the possible 246 games his first three years. And you need Simmons out there, too. And it sounds like they're they're both progressing and, you know, should be ready, you know, knock on wood, for training camp in mid-late September, for the start of training camp anyway. But, you know, they're going to need some things to go right. They need to add a veteran. They need to really get at least one good shooter. And, you know, Jared Bayless is kind of the forgotten guy. who only played in three games because of the wrist injury. I mean, it's possible he could be the starting two-guard opposite Ben Simmons at the point guard on offense because he is so versatile and can play on the ball, off the ball, and he's a very good shooter. And shooting on this team is something they desperately need outside shooting.
1: Final question, Tom. His supporters raised a Sam Hinkie banner last night at Xfinity Live. When does the statue go up? <laughs>
3: Well, I mean, you know, if you're Brian Calentula, you're thinking, all right, we got a first rounder next year that could be pretty good from the Lakers, from Hinky from the 2015 trade. And we got a first rounder in 2019 from the uh, Kings from a 2015 trade. And this guy's been gone for, uh, you know, over a year. And the picks he, he acquired, the Sixers, are you know, are going to last at least three plus years after he does it. So... You know, if they're fortunate and or they make the right pick or get a little lucky here or whatever, or get lucky next year with the Lakers and or the Kings in 2019, I mean, they could really have some kind of a core here of young players. I mean, you're looking at possibly four starters of 23 or younger if the guy they take at number three starts, and your old guy is uh, Robert Covington, who's 26. Mm-hmm. So, You know, that's a really good young core, and, you know, theoretically, you you get them together and you hope that they start moving up the Eastern Conference standings. I
1: hope. All right. We'll be sure to have you back this summer post draft. Follow this guy on Twitter at T more 76ers. Tom, thanks a bunch.
3: Sure. Anytime, Chet.
0: Hey, Chet. Great stuff. And, uh, I, but I, one thing that didn't get mentioned in that, that that I think is interesting, too, is as we look at this roster, and, and as was mentioned, Covington at 26 years old is going to be one of the old men. Not only do yep. they have a three, they have a 36, 39, 46 and 50th picks. They have four second-round mm-hmm. picks as we sit right now. Um, we got too many people, uh, or else we're going to draft <laughs> guys that we're going to have to cut. But or or package up something and make something else happen, which extends that Sam Hinkie legacy a little bit further out uh than, yeah. than what you guys were
1: just talking, yeah, they do a four second round picks, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did package a couple of them together to you know maybe move up a little higher in a case there or there's also talk that they will take one or two guys who are playing overseas and, like they did with Sarich, you know, stash him overseas for a year or two and hope that they get lucky with him. they they got that other guy, too, that they have playing overseas now who may or may not rejoin them this year, uh, Furcon, whatever. So he may show up, not this fall, but the following year. So they got a lot of guys to, uh, you know, decide who's going to be on the team and who's not. And we still don't know what's going to happen with Okafor. I mean, I can't imagine him being part of the nucleus this fall, but you just never know. well, let's
0: talk a minute about that Sam Hinkey because I know you and and our buddy, Fred Hugo are just off the wall crazy Sam Hinkey and the process guys um it showed last night do you still are you still buying the process, trusting the process?
1: I really am. I mean people who don't like what he did have, you know, some merit in what they're saying, that it was four years of some bad basketball, but he knew that going in, and now it's starting to turn around. They had that great January and had Embiid stayed healthy, hadn't had Simmons been healthy, and that wasn't part of the plan, part of the, uh, you know, planned process. They would have won a lot more games this year, but I think they will turn it around next year, and plus they still have all those assets. So, yeah, Sam did what he intended to do. And that's why there's so many people who, you know, wanna hang banners for him and in my case put a statue. I'm only kidding about the statue, but uh <laughs> what he set out to
0: do he did. Well and and with all that said, does is that put Colangelo on a short leash? If they don't Yeah, let's he's just got to say let Well let's just say he's got to get it right. we'll pick a number. We'll pick a number for conversation's sake. Say they only get to maybe thirty 5 wins this next year. Does does that does people have to start looking for jobs?
1: Yeah, I think so. They they should win more than 35. I think they're going to make the playoffs for sure next year and I think they're going to win more than 40 games. And again, that's assuming Simmons is ready to go and healthy and assuming that Embiid is healthy and can play at least 50 games this year instead of 31. If that happens and Savage continues to develop, and you know Bayless comes back and he's healthy, and they get this guy, whoever he is at number three, Josh Jackson or whomever, they're going to have a lot of young guys with talent. So they should win more than 40 games for sure next year. And if they don't, either Colangelo or Brett Brown better be, you know, looking in the mirror. No, I'm with you.
0: Going to be fun to watch. I'm I'm kind of uh, kind of excited to see how this thing plays out. Like I said, I. I've liked the players all along and the effort they've given. It's time to uh, to put it together and get, get up the uh, ladder and, and get to them playoffs for sure. Yep. Well, uh, hey, Chet, as you know, time is running out. It's, uh, it's down to next week pretty much, and I know we have a lot of listeners that are local golfers, and we've got a great chance to golf and help a great cause, and that time, as I mentioned, is running out.
1: Yeah, as we speak, Bill, we are 10 or 11 days from this event. Hit the links on Sunday, May 28th to help traumatic brain injury survivors from McGee Rehabilitation Hospital. The Golf 4 Jackie Tournament is located at Rain Gen Golf Club. That is in Dillsburg, PA, not far from Harrisburg. Jackie, a TBI survivor himself, successfully rehabbed at McGee, the same place Flyers great Brian Propp rehabbed after his stroke. For registration, sponsorship, or silent auction information, contact McGee Rehab, the number 215-587-3145, or giving at org.
0: Okay, should be fun. Hey, Chet, some news out of the NovaCare complex today. LaGarrett, LaGarrett. Blunt is now an eagle, and the birds signed him to a one-year deal. Certainly clears the way for the Ryan Matthews release after his neck injury that we know is coming. And how do you like that, the move to strengthen the running back core? He did, he did score 18 touchdowns last year, and uh, he carried the ball 299 times. He's 30 years old.
1: I love the move. I mean, it's just a one-year deal, as you noted, but that's all right. He's 30 years old, like you said. But he did have a fine year with the Super Bowl champion Patriots, those 18 rushing TDs, which, by the way, is two more than the entire Eagles had as a team rushing. And he ran for 1,160 yards, 3.9 yards per carry. He's a real good short yardage and red zone guy. I love the signing. Another weapon for Carson Wentz.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm kind of excited about it and the fact that uh, – you know, they don't have to give up a whole lot. I think there is a supplemental pick somewhere along the line they lose there. But, um, you know, he's six one, two hundred forty five 245 pounds. He's a bulldog kind of guy. Um, and if you're carrying, carrying the ball 299 times, obviously uh, you're, you're, a, you're a warrior. You're a player. So, uh, as you said, another weapon for Wentz. It helps that running back situation out. And uh, maybe Howie Roseman got this one right. I hope so.
1: The only guy who probably doesn't like it is that Corey Clement who uh was an undrafted free agent who the Eagles signed who I thought might have a shot at making the team. He still might, but uh with Blunt here maybe not.
0: Well, I I think Corey Clements has a chance. He's a different kind of back and maybe uh you know, maybe he ends up being a practice squad player. Blunt's not going to be around long and uh yeah. you know, they they they've got some uh they I kind of like how they're doing this because they, you know, they're trying to play cap games. And they're, they're having to, but to try to win now, they're signing these veterans to one-year deals. They can always re-up them later if they produce. If not, they, they go back until they can get the guys that they really need and get themselves in cap position. In the meantime, they're bringing in some pretty good players to put around Wentz.
1: They are. Howie's doing a good job. He's having another good off season. Let's hope it carries over to the season.
0: Yep, and, you know, Donnell Pumphrey is going to be in this mix, too. And, uh, you know, maybe he ends up uh, getting more third-down uh, reps, uh, you know, with with Blunt in there. So, we'll see. He's going he's to be on that team, I feel pretty sure, too.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm liking this offense. They do have a lot of weapons now for Wentz, and uh, they're, they're going to be fun to watch. I still worry about the defense, though. Well,
0: yeah, I mean, they – I guess you can't address everything because of the cap and the you know, the draft is the draft. You you once you get done the third or fourth round, you're you're kinda of reaching for guys. So what do you do? You do you try to strengthen up the defense first and leave Wentz over there by himself or try to strengthen up the offense and build the defense, you know, as you can. And obviously that's mm-hmm. the that's the direction they appear to have taken and I don't know that you can argue with it. You gotta get, get all you can out of that Carson Wentz. You know it. All right. Well, hey, Chet. You know this pains me, but uh, we have to talk Phillies for a few minutes. And the the, the bullpen has made them just about not watchable uh, from my standpoint. But I, I want to ask you this: I got to get this off my chest. Is there anybody on this team that's really worth watching? Is there a star in the making, or, or are we just biding time for somebody or something that's expected to happen later down on the farm? Like. Who makes you stop when you're walking through the room like Ryan Howard did just to watch his at-bat?
1: Uh, yeah, nobody right now. But, uh, I mean, it's especially tough because they've lost 13 out of their last 16 games. But I am still trying to watch to monitor the progress of old Dubal Herrera, Aaron Altair, and the resurgent Tommy Joseph who started to hit again, which I like. Plus, I do want to see if Michael Franco is going to get back on track or not. He, I know he's got the ability – Let's see if he you know, can do it on the field. He's got the talent. On the other hand, nothing has changed with the pitching since a week ago when we talked. It still takes Vince Velasquez 100 pitches to get through five innings, and the bullpen is still in shambles.
0: Yeah, and, you know, you know I've always been a, a, a doable fan. I've, I like him. And, but, you know, the more I watch him, the more I, I think, is this guy actually getting any better? You know, he's muddling around 250, 260. This is a guy that needs to be a 300 hitter and looked like he had the ability to do that. And I didn't look back at the stats, but if you take away the first half of, uh, what was it, two years ago when he was hitting about 340, if you take that out of the mix, he's he's a 250 hitter and they're a dime a dozen.
1: Yeah, and I think he can be a 300 hitter. So he's got to get it together and he's also got to, you know, stop being lazy on occasion. And he got in trouble again one day late last week for not running out a grounder, I guess it was, uh, yep. making Pete not too happy. So he yeah, he's got to focus both, you know, bat and in the field and run everything out, play hard. He's got ability. Let let's show it. Let's get back to the All-Stars like he was 2 years ago.
0: Yeah, and and you know, my, our, our buddy Carl Henderson and I—we always kid about this middle infield of Cesar and uh, and Freddie Galvis, but no kidding, Cesar Hernandez is probably the best player on that team right now. And that is, I'm, I'm going to put that on the sad list.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah he's not a guy that you're going to pay money to watch or go out of your way to say, "Oh, look, Cesar's coming up," but he has—he is having a good year.
0: Yeah, yeah, he is well and and one final Philly's question for you, you know they they since we didn't talk about this before, they re or reupped or extended Pete McCannon. you buy it or sell it on that
1: uh I'm okay with it. It's not like he's making a ton of money if it doesn't work out, it doesn't mean that they can't change their mind at the end of the season or whatever, but they didn't actually. I mean, they didn't exactly go out and get all inspired and say, hey, way to go, Pete, let's win some games. No, they've been losing pretty much ever since he got the extension. So, good for Pete. I hope it works out. But, uh, I don't know, not a huge deal.
0: All right. Well, hey, let's talk a little playoffs. As we said, we're getting down to the end of both the NBA and the NHL. So, let's start with the NBA. Golden State has a 2-0 lead over San Antonio, while Boston and Cleveland get ready for game one in the East tonight. Is there any way to not have Golden State-Cleveland rematch?
1: Well, I'd be surprised if it didn't happen. But you know what? They gave us a good show the last two springs, so what the heck, I'd be okay with a Warriors-Cavs finale for a third straight year. And by the way, it's tough to be a Washington fan these days. Quick exit last October by the Nationals last October. That tough game seven loss by the Wizards to the Celtics Monday night. And yet another second round NHL playoff exit for the Capitals last week. Ouch.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of agony going on down there in that D C area for sure. I've seen more than more than a handful of comments about it. It just ain't easy to be a fan down here with uh, with that and toss in the the fact that the Redskins aren't very good either. Uh, you know, they they can't get over to home.
1: Yeah, I'd rather be a Philly sports fan right now than Washington because there's a lot of frustration down there, but I think the future is bright for us up here in the Philly area.
0: Yep, well, it's going to be interesting to see if Golden State and Cleveland do meet again. you know, now Golden State has, has Durant in the mix. Uh, can LeBron carry the whole load against them with uh, with Durant now on the Golden State team? So that will be That'll be fun to watch, but that's what it's going to take. But, hey, let's jump over to the NHL. Nashville leads Anaheim two games to one. Ottawa and Pittsburgh tied one each. How does that play out? And does anyone watch an Anaheim-Ottawa finals?
1: (laughs) Oh, man. I have no idea, and I probably wouldn't watch. I said I was going to watch a lot of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I lied. I'll be honest. I really haven't watched more than a couple of minutes of live playoff hockey action. And, you know, uh, my buddy Denny texted me while we were talking to Bill Barber. When we asked Barber about who's going to win, Denny said he really wanted to say Pittsburgh, but he just couldn't uh, bring himself to say that the Penguins would win the cup. So he may be right. I don't know.
0: Well, you know, Bill, we we talked for just a minute with Bill before we we got on the air. And uh, Bill said that uh, Sidney Crosby was the best player in, in the league. And, uh you know he he was very complimentary of Crosby and very complimentary of Pittsburgh and if but they're all banged up he said they're the best team.
1: Yeah, I mean you hate to say it, but Crosby is good and uh, I don't want to see them win another cup though. Okay, I'm not going to <laughs> <Okay. laughs>
0: say it. Uh, I, I just you. find it interesting. It can't it can't be great for TV to have an Anaheim Ottawa or even a Nashville Ottawa finals. It's just. You know, the teams out of the West are just not your hockey towns. And uh, I just don't know other than your your hockey purists are going to tune in from Philadelphia and New York to watch uh, Nashville or Anaheim against Ottawa.
1: Yeah, Pittsburgh probably would draw the best ratings, of course, because they have, you know, some noteworthy stars at least. And, uh, you know, the fans here in the Northeast would be interested at least a little bit in that. Uh, we haven't had, uh, I guess, a Canadian team win the Cups since, what, Montreal in the early 90s. It's been a long time. Sure has. Sure has. All right. Hey,
0: Chet, let's thank uh, our listeners again, everyone that visits uh, phillypressboxradio.com. We continue to keep it updated with articles from the local papers, a few that we write. You can listen to all our shows. And also, uh, Chet, your Vimeo, or all your Vimeos go up, but your Brett Myers Vimeo is up now, and it's excellent, uh, I have to say. Uh, we even have a photo section, a list of the websites of our guests. And check out all of our sponsors as well, the Irish Rover Station House, Lula Road, Taylor & Heather, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com. Just go over to the website, phillypressboxradio.com, and click on each of their displays to transfer to their websites.
1: Yeah, we apologize. We had some website issues earlier this week. Gremlins got in there, I guess, messed it up a little bit. Maybe it was Russian hackers. I don't know. But we are back in business now. With as you said, lots of great content on there. Check out my piece on those nineteen sixty seven NBA champion seventy sixers if you have a moment.
0: Yep, another good piece. But don't forget to check out that Vimeo. It's full of them music clips and uh and some good good Brett Myers conversation as well. Well yeah, hey Brett Chet, good. I think you have another surprise for me and the listeners and uh I, it's funny that I never know who these guests are going to be until you tell me, along with everybody else. So tell us who you have lined up for next week.
1: Well, you know who's going to be with us May 31st because you lined that one up. But next week, we are welcoming back one of our favorite guests, one of the nicest people in the world, a longtime Phillies reporter for Comcast Sportsnet, who now does a weekly Phil's podcast with Glenn Macnow, Leslie Goodell. Leslie will talk lots of Phillies, of course. And she'll also tell us about the upcoming second annual Kendall's crusade comedy fundraiser, which she'll again be organizing to raise awareness and research funding for arteriovenous malformation or AVM. That's an issue that affects her daughter, Kendall. So yes, Leslie Goodell back with us on Philly press box radio for a third time next week.
0: Uh, that will be awesome. Leslie does a great job when she's with us. And, uh, it's always great to talk to her about Kendall's crusades, her heart's so far into that thing. And, uh, Man, I can't wait to hear what's next.
1: And, by the way, she and Glenn, as I mentioned, do this weekly podcast, and they had a guy from the Allentown morning call last week talking about a lot of the uh, Phillies' prospects and why we're not seeing, you know, Reese Hoskins and Jorge Alfaro and those guys up at the big club just yet. So she'll be able to sedge, uh, shed some light on a lot of that because she follows the AAA guys pretty closely herself. So uh, we have lots to talk to Leslie about for sure.
0: Hey, Chet, by the way, did you know the Philly Press Box Radio can now be heard on MixCloud? I'm not sure what site it is or how they got us, but they're now carrying all of our shows as well. It's called MixCloud.
1: We are all over the place, man. Tune in, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, and I have no clue what MixCloud is, but I do look forward to them sending us royalties. Um, I'm thinking is that, that check is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> Where's our lawyer hey, when you need him?
0: That, uh, hey, Chad, if you're sitting around this Friday night and need a, a little football fix, our friend Matt Costine and I will be broadcasting the Lake Gibson versus to manatee spring football game live from Lake Gibson. These are two teams expect to be really good that are going to strap it up in May in 95-degree weather and play a full 48 minutes of spring football. You can catch us at lgbravesradio.com at 715. So if you need a little football fix, we can give you some high school action.
1: Football in May, got to love it.
0: Well, and I'll tell you what, it's been hot down here. It was 96 today, and uh, it's not supposed to slow down. It's spring football is uh, is something special down here. You get about 21 practices in, in the month of May, and uh, – it culminates with a spring game, and uh, Bradenton-Manatee is a, has been a powerhouse around this state for a long, long time. So uh, it's going to be quite a challenge.
1: We hit 92 degrees today up here in uh, the Jersey and Philly area, and it's going to be uh, just as warm tomorrow, Thursday. So I know what you're talking about with the heat. There you go.
0: Well, Mr. Chesco, I know you have a parting shot tonight where you're going to do a little movie review because you are uh, – it, that's one of your favorite things to do it's a sports movie and uh i'm kind of excited to hear what you have to say about it to uh see if maybe i need to go check it out
1: all right i do love a good boxing movie bill rocky raging bull cinderella man million dollar baby you name it i was pretty excited to check out the new film chuck about the so-called real life rocky chuck Webner, the Bayonne bleeder Well, there's less than 10 minutes of actual boxing on screen, so the film is not so much a boxing movie as it is a flick about a troubled North Jersey liquor salesman who was a cheating husband, a neglectful father, and a cocaine addict who happened to also be a prize fighter. Yes, a down-on-his-luck boxer. It is a common theme for fight flicks, but this one is apparently pretty accurate in terms of Webner's life and career, a career that ended in 1978 with a final record of 35-14-2, That record does not include exhibition bouts against Andre the Giant and, yes, a 1,200-pound bear. As you may know, Sylvester Stallone wrote the script for Rocky days after he watched Webner's 1975 bout against Muhammad Ali when the bloodied and battered underdog came within 20 seconds of going the distance against the greatest. Ali won by TKO. Rocky, of course, was primarily about a fictional, unknown Philly fighter who was handpicked to fight Apollo Creed. Chuck, though, goes well beyond the buildup to Webner's bout with Ali. There's more of a focus on his shortcomings as a person, including his penchant for partying with women, booze, and drugs. As the film shows, Chuck blew a shot at, his, at a role as a sparring partner in Rocky II when he showed up at a Philly hotel for an audition, still feeling the effects of one of his frequent binges. So, how was Chuck? Well, I loved almost everything about this movie. It's 1970s look and feel, including the music, cars, and clothing, and the cast was terrific. Mad Men's Elizabeth Moss as Webner's first wife, Phyllis, Ron Perlman as his manager, and a nearly unrecognizable Naomi Watts as his confidant and third wife, Linda. Chuck Webner was played by the underrated Lieb Schreiber, you may know from Spotlight the screen movies, the star of Showtime's terrific Ray Donovan, I love that show, or as the voice of most of HBO's sports documentaries, including the popular Hard Knocks series, Schreiber nailed the role of Chuck Webner. Kudos to Webner himself and director Philippe Fallardou for not sugarcoating the boxer's life. As Webner told the website Boxing.com in an interview about the film, I never realized what a real bastard I was. If my story was going to be told, it had to be the truth. My grade for Chuck... A minus. It's in select theaters. Find it. Go see it.
0: Very good. Sounds like it might be, uh, might be worth doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, the tough part might be finding it. Like Up in this area, it's only a one theater in Philly and a theater in South Jersey uh, down in Voorhees that I go to occasionally for hard-to-find films. So uh, if you can find it, do go see Chuck.
0: Okay, so it's not really a um, a national release, is that that right? I'll have to look it up. It's one of those in select
1: -select theaters at this point. So, yeah, Philly, New York, L.A., and, you know, some cities around the country that have the indie theaters or hard-to-find films. So check it out. Hopefully it will expand because it's getting us a good word of mouth. Okay. All right, Mr.
0: Chesko, we have about uh, one extra minute. We are right on schedule. Are you uh – uh, you have anything you want to hit on before we finish it up?
1: One thing, when I was uh, talking about the, the draft and thinking back to those 67-76ers and writing that piece, I was looking at Will Chamberlain's stats, as I sometimes do, and they say big men you know, have a pension to get hurt. They don't always last. Will, in 13 of his 14 seasons, played 72 or more games. He led the league in minutes, played eight times. For his career, get this, he averaged 45.8 minutes per game. No minutes restriction or no problem with back to backs for Wilt. That's why, in my mind, Wilt is still the greatest of all time.
0: I'm with you
1: 100%.
0: I've got 30 seconds to offer you up one question, Chet. Yeah. Philadelphia athletes, I'm I'm not even giving you a chance to think about this. Philadelphia athletes that are not in their uh, do not have their jerseys retired right now. Pick one. Who are you retiring?
1: Wow. That's that's tough. I need time to think about that one. I honestly <laughs> don't know. I don't know. I'd have I'm going to, to see who doesn't two. have there's to retire. Two. I don't know.
0: There's only two. Who you got? You know, Eric Lindros and Allen Iverson.
1: They did Iverson already, didn't they? Did the Sixers retire number three? I don't know, maybe they just had a night for him, maybe they didn't retire, I don't know.
0: Well, I thought it was interesting the reason I raised that question because I didn't realize this, but I and I probably should. No one has worn number 12 since Randall Cunningham left town.
2: Although mm. his number
0: is not retired. So
2: that yeah, got me thinking be about
0: that got me thinking about that. They retired Dawkins and they retired McNabb, but they did not retire Randall Cunningham. So I just thought yeah. that uh, that was interesting to catch all He's balance borderline. For. He's borderline. Right. I
1: don't think it's going to happen, though. All right. I'm with you.
0: All right, my man. Well, we just I just wanted to toss that at you since we only had 30 seconds. All right, so we are at the top of the hour, so let's thank our special guest, Flyers Hall of Famer Bill Barber, Tom Moore, Irish Rover Station House, Lula Road, Taylor & Heather, and Bob Sullivan's com for their continuing support of the show. For Jim Chachesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, May the 24th at 7 p.m. when Leslie Goodell joins us. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet at www.blogtalkradio.com slash Radio or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and
1: now MixCloud. High hopes, <laughs>
0: Philadelphia sports fans.
1: And just so it stays in your head a little while longer.